How are we doing? Are we alright? It's a good time of worship this morning. Here we are. Back with Joshua. Who's missed Joshua? A few of you. <laughs> okay. Well, we are we are cracking on with Joshua again. Thank you, Delight. That's perfect. Yeah, our series, our series um, as most of you will know, uh, if you don't, we're going through the whole of the book of Joshua and looking at it through the lenses of taking ground and holding ground or keeping ground, as I've written up there, both as a church and as individuals. And using Israel moving into their promises that God gave them uh, and using that, how they responded to that at times, how they succeeded, how they didn't at times, but how they succeeded again. Uh, and, and using those times as an example to us of, of the, the ground we need to take in our lives and the ground we as a church need to take as we move into the peninsula. So, does anyone remember where we left off? Why in the memory backwards? <laughs> Joshua 9 with Adam. It was the Gibeonite deception. So if you remember, God told them not to make a treaty with any other nations. And what did they do? <laughs> they were tricked, to be fair. It was pretty impressive. They wore old clothes and brought monkey bread with them and said, we've travelled from a different land. Um, I mean, we want a peace treaty with you. Not Israel, not knowing. They were right next door. Um, and so they made a treaty. And because they made this covenant, oath with them, even though God had told them not to, now that they'd done it, God expected them to keep it. He expected them to keep it. And so we're going to look at some of the ramifications of that this morning, the consequences, the things they had to do that they sworn themselves to, um, and, and how they got through the, you could call it a mess, I mean, I, I don't, I I get myself in plenty of messes, so I'm not going to be uh, judging Israel uh, on, on the faux pas that they may have made uh, on that occasion. So, I'm going to read from Joshua, but first off, I'm going to pray. I know we prayed before, but I'm going to pray again just because, yeah, I feel, I feel I need to. Lord, would you use my words this morning, Lord? Um, you know um, my preparation, Lord, and how I've try to battle through it, Lord, and I know that uh, your word to me this morning is talking about me letting you do it. And so, Lord, would you use the words of my mouth and the, the meditations of my heart, Lord, uh, and all the things I may have stuffed up along the way, Lord, would you use them and make them acceptable in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. So, Joshua 10. I think I said Joshua 7 just a minute ago, didn't I? Never mind, wrong part of it, we've done Joshua 7. Where's my little tag that I left in there? There we are. So, the elders and the people who decided this series uh, decided that we would do two chapters today, 63 verses. <laughs> and you can imagine when I started looking at it, I thought, man, and there's a lot in there. And I don't like to skip over things, but I think God's made me to not 
being blasé with his work, but when I tried to take it on, it seemed a little bit bigger for me than I imagined. Um, so I'm going to read Joshua chapter 10 right the way through, and then I'm going to read just a couple of bits from verse 11, at verse of chapter 11, uh, which will be verses 1 to 6 and 21 to 23. Um, and I'd encourage you all to read it at home so that the bits that we zoom through, um, that you guys look at it yourselves uh, and, and see what God spoke about in His Word there. Um, yeah, and look at that in your grow groups or your, or your private study. So here we go, Joshua 10. Now, Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, heard that Joshua had taken Ai and totally destroyed it, doing to Ai and its king as he'd done to Jericho and its king, and that the people of Gibeon had made a treaty of peace with Israel and become their allies. He and his people were very much alarmed, I bet they were, at this, because Gibeon was an important city, like one of the royal cities. It was larger than Ai, and all its men were good fighters. So Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, appealed to Hoham, king of Hebron, and Piran, king of Jarmuth, and Japheth, king of Lachish, and Debir, king of Eglon. Come up and help me attack Gibeon, he said, because it has made peace with Joshua and the Israelites. Then the five kings of the Amorites, the kings of Jerusalem, Hebron, Jarmuth, Lachish, and Eglon, joined forces and they moved up with all their troops and took up possessions against Gibeon and attacked it. The Gibeonites sent word to Joshua in the camp of Gilgal, Do not abandon your servants. Come up to us quickly and save us. Help us because the Amorite kings from the hill country have joined forces against us. So Joshua marched up from Gilgal with his entire army, including the best fighting men. The Lord said to Joshua, do not be afraid of them. I have given them into your hand. Not one of them will be able to withstand you. After an all-night march from Gilgal, Joshua took them by surprise. The Lord threw them into confusion before Israel. So Joshua and the Israelites defeated them completely at Gideon. Israel pursued them along the road to Beth Oron and cut them down all the way to Azekah and Machedah. As they fled before Israel on the road from Beth Oron to Azekah, the Lord hurled large hailstones down on them and more of them died from the hail than were killed by the swords of the Israelites. On the day Lord, the Lord gave the Amorites over to Israel, Joshua said to the Lord in the presence of Israel, Sun, stand still over Gideon, and you, moon, over the valley of Ajalon. So the sun stood still, and the moon stopped, till the nation avenged itself on its enemies, as it is written in the book of Jashar. The sun stopped in the middle of the sky and delayed going down for about a full day. There has never been a day like it before or since. A day when the Lord listened to a human being. Surely the Lord was fighting for Israel. Now the five kings had fled and hidden in the cave at Machedah. 
when the Welsh, when the Welsh, <laughs> I'll tell you why I said that later. The Welsh weren't involved. <laughs> when Joshua was told that the five, the five kings had been, had been
They captured it the same day and put to the sword and totally destroyed everyone in it, just as they had done with Kish. Then Joshua and all his with him went up from Hebron to Hebron and attacked it. They took the city, put it to the sword, together with its king and villages and everyone in it. They left no survivors, just as at Hebron they totally destroyed everyone in it. Then Joshua and all Israel turned around and attacked Debir. They took the city, its king and villages, and put them to the sword. Everyone in it, they totally destroyed. They left no survivors. They did to Debir and its king as they had done to Libna and its king and to Hebron. Josh, so Joshua subdued the whole region, including the hill country, the Negev, the western foothills, the mountain slopes, together with all their kings, he left no survivors. He totally destroyed all who breathed, just as the Lord, the God of Israel, had commanded. Joshua subdued them from Kadesh Barnea to Gaza, and from the whole region of Goshen to Gibeon. All these kings and their lands Joshua conquered in one campaign, because the Lord, the God of Israel, fought for Israel. Then Joshua returned with all Israel to the camp of Gilgal. Now that's just chapter 10. You can imagine why I'm not going to go straight through into 11. <laughs> but I will read verses 1 to 6 and 21 to 23. When Jabin, king of Hazor, heard of this, he sent word to Jobab, king of Madon, and the kings of Shimron and Aksaf, and to the northern kings who were in the mountains, in the Arabah, south of Kinneris, in the western foothills, and in the Naphtal, and to, on the west, and to the Canaanites in the east and west, to the Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Jebusites, and in the hill country, and to the Hivites below Hermon, and in the region of Mizpah. They came out, all their troops, a large number of horses and chariots, a huge army, numerous as the sand on the seashore. All these kings joined forces and made camp together at the waters of Meron to fight against Israel. Verse 6. The Lord God said to Joshua, Do not be afraid of them. By this time tomorrow I will hand all of them slain over to Israel. You are to hamstring their horses and burn their chariots. Last leg, 21. There's lots that's gone on in between. There's more cities destroyed, more kings captured. And you can read that in your own time. But we get to 21. At the time, at that time, Joshua went and destroyed the Anakites from the hill country of Hebron, Debir and Anad, from all the hill country of Judah, from all the hill country of Israel. Joshua totally destroyed them and their towns. No Anakites were left in Israelite territory. Only Gaza, Gath and Ashdod did any survive. So Joshua took the entire land, just as the Lord directed Moses, as he gave it as an inheritance to Israel according to their tribal divisions. Then the land had rest from war. And that's Joshua done. Hang on, we're only in chapter 10. There's another 12 chapters here. We'll get to that another time. We'll get to that another time. You're wondering why I was laughing and mentioned the Welsh earlier. Um, it's because the word Makedar sounds like Makedar. 
<laughs> so it was just a thought in my head that came out way too soon. So there you go, a little aside there for you. So, so good job on 52% Welsh, isn't it? <laughs> um, ever thought, have you ever thought, why did I do that? Why did I do I should not have done that. I knew that this would happen and I went and did it anyway. And now look at what it's caused. Has anyone ever been there in your life? I can hold up at least 10 fingers. <laughs> Many times in my life have I thought, why did I do that? And so after the Gibeonite deception, I wonder if Joshua, when he, got, when, when he, when he thought this, when he got the message that Gideon was being attacked. Brilliant. We've just settled down. If it wasn't bad enough that we've been tricked and bound by a covenant, not to destroy them, but to absorb them into us, in no time at all, we've got to go and defend and, and, and fight for the very people we were supposed to have conquered and, over, and wiped out. Brilliant. You can just imagine sitting down at their evening meal, the women are putting the children to bed, they're gathering round the campfire at Gilgal, ready for another day, and Joshua gets a little piece of paper, or maybe a whisper in his ear, and he stands up and says, boys, get the entire army together. Why? It's evening, why are we getting the Well, we've got an all-night march to do. Anyone fancy it? Uh, let me think. No. No. The people had already grumbled about the leaders and Joshua when they um, signed this treaty with them. Now they've got to march all night to Gibeon, 20 miles, 32 kilometres. Mike and I were talking about Imperial and Metric earlier. So there you go, 32 miles, so 32 kilometres, 20 miles. Anyone fancy a 20 mile walk when you've just sat down after work, you've you sat on your sofa, you're about to put the table and someone says, do you want a 20 mile walk? No, is my answer to that, it's very quick. They've already grumbled. And they're not just fighting one king, like they have before, when they get there, they're fighting five kings and five armies. I bet Joshua wasn't Mr. Popular at this moment in time. Ain't it good though when God's got a plan? And ain't it good that God's grace comes through when you've dropped a plow or you've got yourself in trouble and God comes in his mercy to get you out of it and bring you through victorious despite your self-inflicted blunder. Isn't that like God? Thank you, Lord. Jo God speaks to Joshua and repeats his original message way back in chapter 1. Says the same thing to him. I should be clicking through this. So there's the southern campaign. There's the northern campaign. We'll come back to it. And God says this to Joshua. Don't be afraid of them. I've given them into your hand. Not one of them will be able to thank, will be able to withstand you. Joshua must have been going, oh thank God, God's coming. That's that's good news, because 
We've already made a mess. God's coming with us. What's more, God does the lion's share of the fighting. We see God the warrior entering the fray in this chapter. Let's have a look at it. Yahweh the warrior fights for Israel. Verse 10. The Lord Yahweh threw the enemy into confusion before Israel. He threw them. Verse 11. The Lord Yahweh hurled hailstones, giant hailstones down on them. And verse 14. Surely the Lord Yahweh was fighting for Israel. We see God step into the midst, into the breach. And suddenly a vast army, numerous as the sand on the seashore, doesn't look very big anymore. God doesn't just show up here, he shows off. He shows off. In, ver in verses 12 to 13, as a result of a man's request, Yahweh holds the sun and in the sky and stops the moon from going down for nearly, nearly 24 hours. Nearly 24 hours. Oh no, you didn't. Oh yes, he did. And the text said he did it till Israel avenged itself. He wasn't going to let their enemies get the respite of the cover of night so that they could catch their breath and, and regroup. Oh no, he was going to give them an almighty whooping. Until verse 40 says, all who breathed had been destroyed. Think about that. He stopped the sun and the moon. Like, huh, I'll just stop the sun and the moon. You know, like you do. You know? Just interrupt the working order and balance of an entire solar system. Just like that. To hand, why did he do it? Just to save those he loved and chosen for himself. And to hand out a right royal hiding on those who chose to lift their hands against his people. That's my God. That's your God. That's our King. And look at this. God's rich mercy over Israel and Joshua. He uses their error and turns it into a great victory. They defeated all of the southern half of Canaan in just under two days. That's why we got to that point of thinking, hey, I'll tell you chapter 10. That's what God does when he shows up. He doesn't just defeat your enemies, he makes a mockery of them. He makes a mockery of them, and before you know it, you've got half a, half a country in your hands. And then the north of the country rise up, because they've noticed that half their country's been taken by Israel. And the southern kings and, and, and their, their armies have been destroyed. So do they surrender? Do they do what Gideon did? Go, Can we have a peace treaty, please? No, they decide they're going to gather an even bigger army. Fourteen kings and their armies attack Israel. Their plan was to, to, to literally 
overwhelms Israel in the grossly mistaken notion that even Yahweh couldn't save them. Was the spirit as stupid on them or what? It reminds me of the Titanic. It reminds me of the Titanic. They built this ship, it was the biggest ocean liner in the world, the finest architects. They built it so that if it hit an iceberg, it would not sink. They even said, not even God can sink this ship. Well, we know how that went, didn't we? It didn't go very well. It, it made me think even more of the Titanic versus the Ark of Noah. Here you've got highly qualified, experienced marine structural engineers versus a boat built by an untrained amateur. Which boat would you rather have been on? A great preacher from these parts, he's gone to glory now, but uh, from Cliff, Jim Ebbs, senior. He said, one man with God is a majority. And that's what we see here in Joshua. One man with God is a majority. And so, we move on. Like, and this is how my brain works, so just go with me. Like an old 70s Batman TV interlude. Meanwhile, back at the northern king's attempted overwhelming of Israel. Well, in terms of their vast uprising, God devotes a meager 15 verses to their uprising compared to the 43 verses he permitted to the southern kings in his word. It didn't go well. At all. It was about as successful as Liz Truss's prime ministerial reign. They had more holes in them than the Titanic. Their cities were devastated, decimated. The most prominent king at the start of the chapter, Jabin, remember him? Not only had his city, Hazor, destroyed like all the others, Joshua set fire to it as well for good measure. And as I know, recent archaeological surveys that have uncovered the city of Hazor in Israel have found that all the stones and rocks and foundations are black in soot. It's there for all to look at. Joshua set fire to it. And then this is kind of my favourite bit here. Almost like a passing comment at the end of, uh, uh, of, of chapter 11. Joshua destroyed all the Anakites. Who were the Anakites when they were at home, you might ask? Huh. These were the so-called giants in the land that, that Moses, when he sent out his 12 spies, 10 of them came back and said, they're too big, they're too big, we'll never beat them, their cities are too big. Those Anakites, those Anakites, the ones that caused Israel to wander 40 years in the desert, those Anakites, snuffed out with barely so much of a mention in just two verses. That Israel wished they'd listened to Joshua and Caleb. <laughs> so, 
in terms of taking ground and keeping it. I can't focus on the whole chapter as I've learned, or the whole two chapters. So I'm going to focus on that bit of Joshua speaking to the Lord and asking him, stroke telling him, um, to make the sun stand still in the sky and the moon to stop going down. There are many debates over this passage as to what time of day it was. Was it the night? Was it the day? I don't know how they come to that conclusion because it's quite clear Joshua marched all night, so it must have been morning. And the sun and moon were still in the sky, so it must have been morning. But there you are, that's, that's Bible scholars for you. Um, there are stories about um, science that has proved um, that there was, they noticed some missing time in relation to the sun's historical position. There's other people who argue that. I'm not going to go into that, but it's there. The point is, it doesn't matter how God did it. The point is, he did it. So the questions that should, should lead us to are, why did he do it? Because he's gracious. Because he loves his people. What does that mean today for us as his people today? What is our role in walking into victory and the purposes Jesus has for our lives when we don't fancy it? When we'd rather step away or run? What is our role? What kind of power is available to us in our lives when we are being attacked? The same as Joshua. The same God can make the sun and moon stand still if he wants to in your life. What enemies or opposition in our lives is Jesus leading us to overcome? To take ground over? One of the things Joshua had was his relationship with God. It was every day. He was in his presence, like we sang earlier, just like Moses was every day. He soaked himself in his presence and in his word. Secondly was Joshua's faith. We sang about faith. He believed that when God said something to him, he meant it. Joshua believed God without question. I'm not sure I can say that. There's been lots of times where I've been tempted to think my own thoughts. But Joshua believed God without question. And he demonstrated it by going out and doing it. Believing God was with him. And he was all he needed. He settled in himself that his own reasoning and understanding was irrelevant. He settled in himself that God knew better than him. He settled in himself that since God, the creator of all things, the universe itself, could do anything he wanted with his creation. When looking at Joshua's tone, when speaking to God in verse 12, chapter 10, Son, stand still over Gibeon. You moon and over the valley of Ajalon. We might be thinking Joshua's getting a bit above his station here. 
He's demanding something from God. In fact, like Joshua, this is Yahweh. You might want to wind it in a bit. Unless you want to be smited, that is. Is he getting a bit too familiar with the Lord Almighty? No, I don't think so. Firstly, he knew who, who he was in God. God had called him to lead Israel. He told him way back. And to mediate between them and Israel. God promised him several times, I will be with you. And no one will stand against you. He'd seen what God had done before. So he was in such a position of faith in his Lord, he was entirely comfortable with his request, with his demand, with his prophesying what he needed from God. And more to the point, so was God comfortable with it. Because he, without a blink, God just goes, there it is. The text seems like a day like no other when the Lord listened to a human being. The Lord listens to us for a very good reason. We're in Jesus. The Lord listens to you, each and every one of you, because you are in Jesus and he gives you access to the Father. Praise God, somebody said. <laughs> so it seems that us as new covenant believers in Jesus, Israel and our Messiah, this relationship that Joshua had with Yahweh, who we are now permitted to call God the Father, draws a very similar parallel to our relationship with him. We must know who we are in Jesus. Our great high priest gives us access to the Father through him. The greater Joshua. He gives us access. What does God say to you? Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Where does Jesus sit? On a throne. And he seated us with him. What grace. We are now and not yet, but we are seated with him. That's our position. The throne has become like a sofa. The family sofa is a throfer. <laughs> what grace. We don't deserve it, but that's what God's done. And this, Romans 8, verse 35 to 37. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? For as it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No! In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Praise God! And because of our relationship with Jesus, our prayers are listened to. And when coupled in this with faith, when we declare something, be it scripture or prophecy, 
over situations, they can carry the same weight as Joshua's, what we read earlier. Because when it goes through the high priest, the great high priest, it's acceptable. Thank you, Jesus. Indeed, Jesus says in Matthew 21, verse 21, Very truly I tell you, whoever believes, and oh, no, wrong verse, if you, if you have faith and do not doubt, not only can you do what was done to this fig tree, but you can also say to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea. I have the right one, that's good. Isn't that the same sort of scale as what Joshua was asking for? They're the words of Jesus, they're not mine. This isn't me trying to convince you, it's right there. Tell this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea. John 14, verse 12 to 14, Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I'm going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Just think about that. Take a moment for the gravity of that statement. Wow. Matthew 16, verses 18 to 20. Just after he said, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So it's these truths that Jesus intended to lead us into taking ground and holding it, because he's involved. And as a church, by prayer, by declaration, and by prophecy, what enemies or opposition in our lives is Jesus leading you to overcome in your life or take ground over? Is there something there that's been there for years? Is God saying it's time to overcome us? What situations have arisen, metaphorically speaking, that need the sun and the moon to be stilled in Jesus' name until he gives you victory over them? What situations? What giants have we shrunk back from in fear? That Jesus is saying it's time to take them down. Do not be afraid of them, because I have given them into your hand. Not one of them will be able to withstand you. As a church, we, we take ground physically and spiritually. What powers and principalities will Jesus cause us to put our feet on their necks and remind us this is what the Lord your God does to your enemies? when we go to fight with his help. So I'm going to finish there. Think about those things. What do we need to overcome? What giants need to come down? What help do we need? Will God help me? Of course he will. 
He'll move heaven and earth if you ask him. Think about those things. Come forward for prayer at the end. If Delay and the band, if we've got a, a song to finish with, we, we do one. Come forward for prayer. I feel that God wants to shift some things today in our lives. He wants to move things that we think are unmovable. A vast army that we think can't be overwhelmed, can't be overcome. God says involve me. Let's stand, let's worship. And then if this anything spoken to you today, come forward for prayer. Myself and Bolo or Val or someone else will be there to pray with you. Because God wants to lead you into victory. He has plans for your life. He has plans for this church. And it's not to sit back or shrink away. It's to step into everything that he's promised you. And he'll back you up. Thank you.